This is the Become the Lion podcast. If you are aiming to become the top in your industry, not second, not above average, the top, then you have come to the right place. Become the Lion will provide you with weekly insights and motivation needed from our guests on how to escape the common herd that society lives in. If you're looking to change your life, then get ready. Welcome to Become the Lion. Hi, this is Trevor Nicholas from Become the Lion. Today on the show, we have Jay Kim. Jay is an investor, author, fitness hacker, and host of The Jay Kim Show, where he interviews some of the world's most brilliant business minds. Jay, welcome to Become the Lion. Thank you for having me on, Trevor. It's an honor to be here. And Jay, when I was doing my research for you, I saw that you had a company called Hack Your Fitness. And for our audience out there, do you mind telling them a little bit about why you, exactly you decided to start that company? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Hack Your Fitness is essentially uh, the culmination of about 15 years of personal struggle and pain. So uh, I spent uh, the first part of my career um, as a banker on Wall Street. Uh, you know, I'm still an investor today. I work on the buy side as, as an asset manager. But for the majority of my career, I was a banker on Wall Street. And, you know, I started off my career living in New York. Uh, you know, young young guy out of college, just very busy um, and didn't have a lot of time uh, obviously to look after my fitness. And so, you know, when you're younger, you can kind of get away with, with, uh, with not minding your fitness. You can eat whatever you want. You have a faster metabolism. Uh, you have, can do minimal, uh, maintenance and still look okay. And it really wasn't a priority for me. And so after about three or four years of doing that, I, I slowly noticed the weight start creeping up, but fitness is always a career accessory for me you know when I would uh, I would go to work and people would have their gym bags next to their cube at work and for me I kind of thought oh, everyone's going to the gym I might as well do it too and it was the only reason I did it was because after the gym we would all meet up for happy hour and it was kind of one of these things that I just ticked the box okay it's something I have to do or or maybe it was even peer pressure because everyone else uh, in in my uh, in my, my analyst class at work was doing it. And so it was something that I felt I had to do. It was not something that I chose to do. And so I struggled for a long time doing that. And at the same time, concurrently, while I was working out, what I was doing was I was just literally cherry picking workouts from magazines, you know, doing the usual buy your men's health magazine, muscle and fitness, and uh, and seeing what what the bodybuilders were doing and and saying, look, oh, there's a good uh, chest workout or a good back workout. Let me try that for a couple of weeks. I'd get minimal results, and then I would just switch and try something else because I thought that I had to keep keep switching my workouts and confusing my muscles so I could keep gain making progress in the gym. So I literally had zero education uh, when it comes to fitness. I had uh, even less education when it came to the nutrition side of things. And so I struggled for a long time, you know, for, for over a decade, I was kind of just very much moving sideways in my fitness journey. And it came to a point where finally one day I looked at myself in the mirror and this was probably six or seven years after I started working. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror getting ready for work and I I really just wasn't happy with the way I was looking. You know, it wasn't, it, fitness was definitely not, you could tell that I wasn't fit. I wasn't in shape. And I was never super obese or anything, but I put on, you know, a good 25 pounds of fat over a course of probably a decade of uh, bad nutrition and just, just working. I mean, I was just working. I think all of the listeners can sort of, uh, you know, relate to that, you know, work is usually the number one priority, especially if your listeners here at Become the Lion. I'm sure that everyone is very, uh, you know, eager to, to get on with their life and, and, and make something of it. So fitness usually gets, uh, gets, gets put on the back burner. And so I looked at myself in the mirror and, uh, 
it was kind of like I could see a little gut protruding even when I had my my shirt uh, kind of untucked. And so usually it would cover up my stomach. But this particular moment, I looked and it was it was really tight around the stomach area. And so uh, I remember looking at myself and really being unhappy with with my my image. Okay, so uh, that was sort of the first. first milestone where I was like, okay, I, I got I to gotta make a change. And it wasn't until 2008 when the company I was working for went under uh, due to the global financial crisis uh, that I really had a lot of free time because I was out of a job. And so really I had no excuse. I had to, uh, to basically face the music. And I, I took that opportunity to basically say, look, I don't have any more excuses. I don't even have a job, so I can't say... I don't, you know, I, I, I have to work. I don't have time to work out. And so I took three months and I basically drilled down and really cleaned up my diet and learned. I, I, I took a lot of time to educate myself about what clean and healthy eating is. And I drilled down and I, uh, you know, basically stopped drinking. <laughs> drinking was a big part of it. And I, I made a, a first initial uh, leap in my my fitness progress, and so that was sort of the the first eye opening moment where I was like, okay, I don't have I don't have a job anymore, so I don't have any more excuses. I need to really get my fitness under control, and so uh, this this was actually the, just the very first data point in my fitness journey, and from that point on, I struggled for another you know about. Six, six more years of, of struggling. So I, I made a lot of progress initially. But then from that point onward, I also struggled for six years, never really achieving the body that I always wanted. And so I lost a significant amount of weight. I lost about 20 pounds initially during that first sort of uh, uh, first move. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, everyone, everyone was making comments. So I, it was kind of a positive affirmation from, from my peers. And they were saying, look, oh, you lost a lot of weight, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, you know, you, you must be a fitness guy now. You're the fitness guy. And so I was known, started getting known from my social circle as a fitness guy. However, when I came home at night, I would take my shirt off and I still didn't have like a six pack. I didn't look like a men's health cover model. Everyone was calling me this fitness guy, but I wasn't. Uh, and to be honest, Trevor, even to this day, I don't view myself as a fitness guy. You know, I'm just a guy that likes to look good. <laughs> and uh, to be completely honest, I, and I tell people this all the time, if I was born with, you know, as a genetic freak with amazing genetics and natural six pack every day, I probably would never work out. That's just the truth of it. So, um, it wasn't until uh, my wife actually made a comment to me, and this was six years later, where I'd been just struggling, spinning my wheels. I was I wasn't overweight. I was in fairly good shape, but I just didn't look really, really good. Like I wasn't I did wasn't maintaining uh, year-round, uh, you know, single-digit body fat or or what have you. So I was walking to the shower one day, and my wife just threw this comment out at me and basically said. You know, for someone that works out all the time, you don't actually look that ripped. And she had been with me the entire time. You know, we were dating when I first made my initial transformation. And her comment really stung because she knew the struggle that I went through. She knew everything, like all the pain that I went through and all the effort that I was putting in to achieve uh, what I wanted, as what I thought was was a good body and a good physique, but I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. And so it was that comment actually that made me take a step back and be like, "Look, I'm not doing something right here. Uh, something is is not working for the amount of effort I'm putting in to my fitness. I'm not getting the results that I expect." So I took another step back, and that's when I really learned. You know, I, I took a long, hard look at myself, and that's when I really learned what my mistakes were and what I was doing wrong. And then I figured out how to fix those mistakes. And that essentially uh, culminated in this system that I call Hack Your Fitness. And it's, it's, it's not a hack as in like a biohack. You know, biohacking is 
is all the rage, you know, um, ever since sort of Tim Ferriss and, and all of his experiments and stuff like that came out, everyone's learning how to, trying to figure out how to hack fitness. You know, my, when I say hacker fitness, it's, be, it's basically the shortest, the straightest line to get from, you know, where I was, which was spinning my wheels, uh, not really making any progress, to just basically the minimum amount of effort and information that you need to get the results you want. And I, I like how you mentioned how you stopped drinking and you went to a clean diet, but while you're on the clean diet, what are some of the foods that you recommend for our audience to eat? Yeah, so um, so fitness is, in my opinion, 85% diet and 15% exercise. So the exercise part is never the hard part. You know, I, I worked out. Going to the gym is very easy for, for many people. I mean, okay, it's, it's not easy, but it's the easier of the two. It's the cleaning up the diet. It's the actual learning about nutrition that uh, people uh, is, stumble with and, and struggle with. And it's not so much uh, what you eat. It's the amount you eat. Okay, so uh, when I coach uh, people, and I don't, I'm not a fitness trainer, uh, and, and uh, it's not something that I aspire to be, but I, I do some high-end high, high end coaching, uh, you know, and I work one-on-one I work -on -one with, with a select uh, group of people. And when I coach people, it's really just an accountability partner. And I'm, I, I, walk, I educate them and I walk them through this process. But I'm definitely not a fitness trainer. I have no certifications. But what I do is I educate people on nutrition. And basically, it's everything that you need to know is out there. It's all out there for free now with the Internet, all the information that you need. Uh, it's just learning the correct information. There's a lot of noise out there, uh, and that's just a, a byproduct of marketing and advertising. So it's learning the, the, the proper information and how to put it in the right order. And so I call that syntax, right? You have to, what a lot of people have is a syntax error. They know how to eat healthy, and they know, uh, you know, how they should work out. They know all these different pieces, but they, they can't put it in the right order. So back to your question, when it comes to eating, uh, there's basically, you know, two sort of rules that people don't necessarily understand. Okay. And so the first, the first, uh, the first truth that people usually forget is that, uh, human beings actually don't need to eat as much as they think they do. Okay, so the amount that you think that you need because you think you're hungry or you feel hungry is actually way less than what you what, what is necessary. So that's the first truth that most people don't know. The second truth is that human beings consistently underestimate the amount of calories they eat. So when you're going out to eat uh, a meal and you eyeball the food on your plate, you usually are lowballing the amount that you're eating. So in other words, human beings usually eat way more uh, than they think they eat. Okay, so when you put those two together, essentially the key element to the entire thing on the fitness side is uh, you have to know how much you're putting into your body. So you have to count your calories. You have to know how much your body is burning and how much you're taking in. So it's the rule. The rule is I call it the law of energy balance. So it's basically calories in, calories out that everyone has heard or read about, but not a lot of people go down to the level of actually um, counting it. And it's only when you get down to that level, and it sounds tedious at first. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to get down to that level. I don't want to get neurotic about counting my food and, or busting out a food scale at a restaurant and this and that. But, you know, it's only when you get down to that level that you can actually uh, make progress. Because if you don't have any data, then you can't, you don't, you have no idea if you're making progress or you're, you're moving back. And so I say that the law of energy balance is the most single most important law of nutrition that supersedes everything else. So it doesn't actually matter what you eat, uh, per se, as long as you're eating less than you're burning. Okay, that's why you hear about all these crazy diets like, oh, I ate McDonald's for 30 days and I lost weight. That's because of this law that, that and it is true, you can lose weight 
if you if you eat McDonald's every day, if as long as what you're eating is less than what you're burning. So that is just simple science. So when people start realizing this, it kind of opens their eyes. So you have to you have to count your calories. I mean, there's there's no way around that. If you don't have an idea of where of what of what you're eating, then you have zero chance of success. And so that's usually the hardest part for people is understanding this concept and then actually practicing it. Um, but there are because of technology these days, there's it's it's getting much much easier to to track this sort of data, you know. And um, it's actually not as tedious as you think once you start get, getting into it. And so that's that's sort of the first place that I tell people. Um, to go on the nutrition side. To go along with nutrition, and you mentioned how we still have 18 or 15% exercise. What do you think are some of the exercises that someone can do to stay healthy, whether that's, you know, it's cardio or doing some hit or just doing some uh, strength training? Do you mind just telling your audience a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually, I hate cardio. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've abhorred it from ever since I well you know I used to I used to play a lot of competitive sports and uh, it was always a weak point for me you know I, I I used to be a soccer player in in high school and and uh, you know I I never had the lungs to keep up with a lot of people on the field and so it was always a sticking point for me and so I I always hated doing it and it was just sort of a necessary evil in my mind that I thought and. Uh, there's a lot of health benefits to doing cardio. Uh, now, don't get me wrong here, but when it comes to uh, efficiency and in the context of fat burning, uh, which is basically what I do, is I get people lean. <laughs> uh, that's their number one. That's the number one thing that I do. Um, it is less efficient than uh, heavy compound lifts, strength training. So, in my program, what I advocate is compound lifts, which is basically your old school barbell lifts like squats, deadlifts, bench press, you know, overhead press, that sort of thing. Um, basically, the, the part of the gym that everyone hates going to because all you see is like the meat heads in and they're grunting around and throwing the weights around. And I avoided for a long time too because, you know, I'm, I'm not a big guy <laughs> um, and I'm Asian, so I'm, I'm small and by, by build and everything. So I, I hated going over to, to work out with the barbells because I just looked ridiculous. And so I resisted that also for a long time. I just hid behind the safety of, uh, you know, of the machines and the circuit, circuit training and, and cardio. And so when you look at the science, again, this is all science. Simple science, actually. When you just dig down and get through all the noise, when you dig down and you research the science, uh, the science tells us that cardio, car cardio, the amount of calories that you burn doing cardio uh, on a scale of calories burned for per ex per amount of time spent exercising, so at the very bottom of that scale is your steady state cardio, like running on a treadmill or doing elliptical or something like that, cycling. Uh, further along on that scale, uh, but still close to the to the bottom is HIT, what you just mentioned, high intensity interval training. And so HIT is very popular because people are like, oh, short bursts of, of, of exercise is efficient, 20 minutes in and out, and your the afterburn effect, this quote unquote called thing called afterburn effect, uh, is much higher than steady state cardio. And so everyone is touting this, they're they're selling this thing. And so yes, that's true. Hit is, hit does have a higher afterburn effect uh, than than steady state cardio. Now on that same scale, if you look at uh, weight training, like compound lifts, like heavy compound lifts, I'm talking squatting, deadlifts, bench press, overhead press with heavy weight, not light, you know, heavy weight, high high weight, low reps. On that scale of the afterburn effect, that it, it's way, way, way uh, over to the right. So it basically exceeds it, uh, it by multiples. So after you do a heavy compound lift, your body, it takes up to 48 hours for your body to recover. Um, and it's basically the afterburn effect is something called uh, EPOC, E-P-O-C, which is excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. Uh, it's a little science -y, but basically what that means is the amount of energy that your body needs 
to recover from a workout. So after steady state cardio, your body doesn't need that much because after your heartbeat gets back down, uh, you've basically recovered. After a hit, it takes a little bit long, longer to recovery. After a heavy compound lift session, it takes up to 48 hours for your body to recover. And that's why you feel really sore the next day. Your body is just basically recovering from that workout. And that entire time that your body is recovering, you're actually consuming energy. And so essentially what that means is you're burning fat for up to 48 hours after a heavy lift. And so from an efficiency standpoint, and we're, you know, I think your audience, a lot of them are entrepreneurs who are listening in. We're all about productivity and efficiency, you know, and we want to we want to hack time. And this is this is the best, most efficient way to, to, to burn fat in the gym is to go in and do a heavy compound lift. You're going to be burning fat for the next two days afterwards. And so that's the number one thing that I also advocate in my program is to do heavy compound lifts. And compound lifting has a lot of other benefits um, to it. So, you know, you're. Your bone, your bones get stronger. Bone is living tissue, and the bones get stronger after you do compound lifts. It's just, it's a fact. And so, as we age and as we get older, you know, Trevor, you're a young guy, but you know, when you get to my age, you have to start worrying about things like, you know, okay, what am, what, am, what is, what am I, what's my health going to look like 20 years from now? Um, this is, this is something that's important. That's why strength training is, is actually encouraged for, for older. Uh, fitness people for, you know, for people like my parents, you know, that still, people still advocate strength training. Um, so that on the exercise side, on the exercise side, that is what I advocate. As our audiences, entrepreneurs, and they're tend, they're usually tending to live a busy lifestyle. How much time do you think someone should spend in the, in the gym, you know, whether that's half an hour or an hour just to stay fit? Right. So because my program is, uh, is based on, you know, essentially nutrition, it's 85%. You know, the, the amount of time that you need to spend in the gym is, is actually minimal. Um, so for me, I designed the program essentially to, it's, it's for entrepreneurs. You know, I, I truly believe that exercise is the number one productivity hack for any entrepreneur out there. And I can tell you that from personal experience, you know, we were talking earlier uh, uh, before, before, we, before we, the call that, uh, you know, I get up really early and I work out in the mornings. And every time I do that, it just sets my day up on the right note. Uh, you know, my brain is on fire. So I actually, um, I spoke with uh, this, this doctor. He wrote a book called Spark and his name is Dr. John Rady. Uh, and he's, he, he, he basically in his book spark, he details and makes a case for the science that directly links, uh, a connection between physicality and cognitive function. So his thesis is basically when you work out it work, exercising fires more cells in your brain cell than any other human activity. And so he, and this is all science based. Um, and so he basically is saying that when you exercise, you, your brain works better. <laughs> and so as an entrepreneur, this is the number one productivity and, and life hack for that I, that I recommend. And so with that in mind, I'm always trying to minimize the amount of time because like a lot of people, it, you have to get into a car and go to the gym and then you've got to get changed and then you have to do it and yet then you gotta get changed again take a shower and go back to work or you know you're probably juggling 15 different things at a time the last thing you need to do is spend a lot of time in the gym so my workout that i designed is 45 minutes three times a week and it's again back to what i was just talking about those heavy compound lifts because they're so efficient and they end up burning so much uh, energy after the fact i i basically schedule them three times a week uh, based around the three com heavy compound lifts, which is squat, uh, deadlift, and press, and uh, and that's all you need. Three three times a week, forty five minutes, and you're done. You go in and you're out, and the rest of the time you're basically just managing your diet, your nutrition, and so because of that, it, I've actually streamlined it. You know, I've, this is about the minimum amount that you need, and I've also designed it to be very flexible. So you know, it's 
at the very beginning when you're learning all the 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 science and and educating yourself on this stuff, I I like to keep uh, people on a strict program. But uh, once you understand your body and you understand all the science, there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to scheduling your workouts because I also understand that as entrepreneurs, you sometimes don't always have control of your schedule. Sometimes you're traveling on the road or you have meetings or you have last minute hiccups that you have to deal with. I get that. That's life. Life happens. And so you have to be able to be flexible and work around that while still maintaining your level of fitness. And so that's the way I've designed the program. When you're doing your main lifts, you know, the bench, the deadlift and the overhead press, how many do you do around like five sets of five or, you know, three sets of eight? Do you mind just telling your audience a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so again, when it comes to programming, which is a fancy way of saying how you, how you plan your workout uh, in fitness parlance, um, there's so much out there. I mean, literally, you can online, you can just Google search, how do I set up my workout? And you'll get a million results. And I've spent, I've probably read half of, half of those million results because <laughs> I've just been trying to, to figure it out over the years. But, um, you know, five sets of five is, is a very popular uh, method, um, you know, I don't know who originally came up with it, but it was popularized by a guy um, who runs a site called Strong Lifts. Uh, I've tried it before; it's very good. Um, but my program is actually less than that, so I I advocate um, two sets and pushing to failure on on each of the lifts. So uh, I've basically literally tried to streamline the minimum amount that you need to do and. Uh, I, I, I use something called uh, reverse pyramid training. So mm. essentially, when you go into the gym, usually you do your warm-up set and you slowly add weight, add weight, add weight until you get to your max. And your last set, you're probably doing only a couple of, of, of reps, but it's at the most you can do. So what reverse pyramid, that's pyramid training. You're going up the pyramid. What reverse pyramid training, and it's getting quite popular now, um, you know, again, it was developed a while ago, but it was popularized by um, a guy named Martin Birkin, who runs LeanGains.com, who I've actually learned a lot about intermittent fasting uh, from him, uh, which is another dieting protocol that I that I employ. But he advocates reverse pyramid training, and I do the same because it's very efficient. So essentially, what you do is you flip that pyramid over. You go in, you warm up, you do your heaviest set first. Uh, which, which is usually the amount, the most amount of weight you can do within the four to six rep range. And then once you do that, you ladder that down. So your second set, you're going to drop your weight to 80 to 90% of that, that first set's weight. And then you're going to add reps to that. So your second set could look something like 80 to 90% of your first set but you're going to be doing six to eight reps on the next uh, on the second set, and basically my experience and my uh, my program says that if you push yourself to failure, and I'm talking literally failure, so there's a little bit of a learning curve when you're learning these compound lifts. You have to go in, you have to learn them properly, and ensure that you make slow and st steady progress. Like you don't go in and you throw on two plates aside and try to be a hero the first day that you you start doing heavy compound lifts, you know, you got to work up to your, to your weight. But when you go in, you're giving it hundred percent. Like it's, it's when you're squatting and you're, you're squatting to failure as in your last rep, you can barely get up or sometimes you have to drop the bar onto your safety pins or, or the rack. Um, that is where you get your most efficiency. You know, a lot of, a lot of fitness people and, and lifters say that you're, you make the most gains in that last rep to failure like when you're pushing yourself to failure even if you do end up failing failing sucks but when you do end up pushing yourself that means that you're pushing yourself literally uh to the point that you have no gas left in the tank when you leave the gym and that's when you're going to make the most gains right and so you put everything that you have for that 45 minute session and then you walk out and you're done you check it off the list jay that that has yep. been excellent and I just want to take the show in a little bit of a different direction because I just I have to introduce my audience to your podcast, The Jay Kemp Show, and you've just interviewed you know some exceptional people on there, you know Gary Vaynerchuk and Tucker Max, and I just have to ask you, why did you decide to start your podcast? Yeah, yeah, thanks, uh, Trevor. I um, 
you know, I've, I started my podcast uh, probably very much like a lot of people out there. You know, I mean, there's there's so much. I think podcasting is so great, and it's it's really a a, a trend that is not going to go away. It's only going to get bigger. Um, and you know, there's a big debate on video versus audio, and I think I think both are going to coexist in the future. Um, and I love podcasts. I'm a huge consumer of podcasts myself, which is why I started my own podcast because I think this is the same case for a lot of people. You know, I mean, you mentioned that you love podcasts as well, and it's probably one of the reasons why you started is because you yourself are a big consumer um, of podcast content. And so I've learned so much listening to a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders and influencers out there from various other podcasts. Um, and it, it really started, you know, a couple of years ago because I have a commute to work and I was basically getting tired of uh, listening to the usual Billboard Top 40 hits or whatever I was listening to. And um, so I, I consu- started consuming a lot of podcast content. And, um, and it, I, I really enjoy it because you, could just, you can learn. It's actionable. It's very actionable when you listen to an episode. And I think this is one of the things that you try to do as well on, on Become the Lion on your podcast is have actionable takeaways. So you can literally... 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, listen to a conversation and, and take away something from it. And I love that about podcasts. And so when I was scanning the universe, there are no, basically there are none, no, podcasts were not existent in Asia as, as in Asia curated, right? So I, I basically had an idea. I was like, someone should do a podcast in Asia. And I was kicking it around with a, a few different parties. And you know, podcasting is, is, there's a very low cost to it, but the cost is time. So that's what a lot of people don't have. So financially, it doesn't cost that much to set up a podcast. What it just co- costs is time and commitment, you know. And, uh, you know, there's something like forty or 60,000 podcasts registered out there, but how many are actually active? You know, it's easy to start a podcast, but to know that something has no definitive end where you have to just keep going whatever cadence you choose weekly or you know monthly or if you're crazy like John Lee Dumas who does his <laughs> daily podcast which is insane I don't know how he does it but you know I mean it's it's a uh, it's daunting right you, you think about oh I have to do this forever <laughs> um, so you can't really think of it uh, as oh I'm gonna get something out of this podcast I'm gonna I'm gonna monetize I'm gonna get sponsors you know you really have to come from a place where you just want to serve your audience. And I think that's the same thing that you're doing, Trevor. And so when I started the Jay Kim show, it was purely to give my audience here in Asia the same experience that I've had with, with my podcast consumption. And I'm, I'm, you know, I have monkey mind as well. You know, I jump around a lot. I always, I find myself finding a new podcast all the time and going down this rabbit hole for a month or two. And then I'll jump to something else because I'll hear something on some podcast and recommends another podcast. You know, I do the same thing with books, and I think a lot of, of entrepreneurs do the same thing. You kind of jump around, and you go down rabbit holes, and you come back up. And So I, I wanted basically to create a platform where people could learn. Uh, you know, it's twofold. There's, there's, my audience is, is, is pretty evenly split. One, one side is aspiring entrepreneurs, I think very similar to the audience that's listens to your, that listens to your podcast, people that want to learn how to build businesses, how to build startups, uh, advice from seasoned entrepreneurs or business leaders or thought leaders or influencers. And the other side of my podcast, uh, which is actually quite interesting for me personally, is people that want to learn about Asia, you know, and so I profile a lot of, uh, of Asian entrepreneurs and Asian startup founders and Asian investors. So a lot of my audience that's listening in are people that don't know that much about what's going on in Asia, but they want to learn about it. Hey, what's the new startup in Asia? What are some business opportunities in Asia? What are some places I can invest in Asia? Let's hear what's going on over there. Uh, And because of China and Asia and where the world is right now, it's on everyone's radar. Uh, And so I want to also be sort of a guide, uh, sort of an, an insider uh, to give p- listeners a, a view of what's going on out here. So, with your show and all the you know successful guests that you've had on your show, 
Have you noticed anything in common, you know, maybe a theme or something that they all say about what it takes to become successful? Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, and I, this is something that, that I, I love reflecting on because, you know, I, I, I always look back on my episodes and I try to come up with, with, see these sort of themes and patterns. And so this is an exercise that I'm very familiar with. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the, there's, there's, two, there's two main themes that I would say when I, when I look at any successful entrepreneur that I've interviewed, okay? And so the first main theme uh, is, is basically you have to give before you receive. And, that, and this is in whatever form that you want to say, serve your audience first, um, give before you receive. It, this is a mindset thing, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, as, if, you, if you're coming out uh, from a business background or any sort of large corporation background where you're working in an institution, it, this, is, this is a mindset shift that you have to make because human beings are not trained to just be generous and give something without getting anything back in return. And the, one of the most common themes that I've, I've seen is that when, and I've experienced this myself in my business career, in my life uh, as an entrepreneur, is that when you give, when you serve an audience or give first, uh, without really having anything tangible or having any motive or necessarily, is, is just you have to provide some sort of value first, and then you're going to get something else back. And it might not be immediate, it might take some time, but it's going to come back to you. And I think it, that's a difficult one for a lot of people to swallow because I think the first thing that people think about uh, if you have this sort of savvy, uh, you know, shrewd business mindset is what am I going to get out of this? You know, I'm, I'm giving something, I'm putting something in, I'm starting a blog, I'm starting a podcast, I'm giving a speech. What do I get out of it? Do I get paid for this? You know, what is it? It's worth my time. I, I you know, I, I could be doing something else Time is money. I could be doing something else. Why am I doing this? I think it's a destructive mentality to have. And it's one of the things that I always, it's one of the recurring themes from every successful entrepreneur is in some way, shape or form. And that could come in the form of building a product that serves, you know, it's like that saying, if you want to become a billionaire, like, you know, change a billion people's lives or make uh, a billion things that, you know, can, can impact a billion people. Um, that's how you become a successful entrepreneur is you have to figure out where you can serve and what audience you can serve. And once you start doing that, it, it's amazing how things just kind of come back to you. And I've experienced this myself, you know, I mean, as soon as when you start off as an entrepreneur, you, you're just, uh, I was fueled by money and, um, and it was the wrong sort of motivation because I think as when you're younger, you're impatient, you want to make it, you know, and, and uh, you feel like you look around and you, 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 you watch the social network and you see this 26 year old billionaire that started Facebook and you're like, I want to be that guy, right? I, I have four or five years left, uh, you know, to go. I want to be him. How, what do I have, I have to do? And it, that, that's not the right mentality, you know? I mean, I think, I think, and this kind of goes into my, my second point is, is, you know, to become a successful entrepreneur, you can't really put a timeline on, on it. You know, you have to be patient. You have to work hard. And when you scan sort of all the successful entrepreneurs, um, you know, yes, a lot of people have 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 made it at a young age, but that doesn't mean that they just woke up one day and overnight they achieved that. You know, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was was a teenager when he started Facebook and he was working on it throughout college, right? I mean, everyone knows that story. And it wasn't like he just woke up at 26 on his 26th birthday and he was like, boom, I'm, I'm a billionaire, right? So, so that's the, sort of the second theme is that, you know, it takes time. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, I love the fact that um, when I interview successful entrepreneurs, not a single, single one of them, when I ask them what, what their trick or trait or secret is to becoming successful, not a single person has ever said, 
oh, I made it because I'm smart. I was born smart. I have a photographic memory. That's why I made it. Like not a single person, you'll never hear successful entrepreneurs say that. Why did they make it? Why are they successful? It's because they worked. They worked hard, you know. It takes a lot of hard work. And so the reason that I love that and the beauty of it is because it really, it's, it's a meritocracy. It levels the playing field. It's what you put in is what you're going to get out of it. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a smart guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not gifted. And I'm not anywhere near successful as a lot of these people. But it gives me hope. You know, I mean, anyone. People can drop out of college, drop out of high school, and just figure out what they're meant to do in this world and work hard and become successful. You, know, you can get there. You don't have to be born smart. You don't have to be uh, you know, born with a with, uh, financial advantage or genetically you know, gifted or anything like that. You just need to work hard, and I love that. I love the fact that it's, it, it's an open playing field for everyone. I like the examples you just gave because our audience is you know, usually someone who's younger – Either they're, they're in college, coming out of college, or out of college, you know, 25 to 30. And sometimes they almost feel like they have to have, you know, either connections or the smarts. And they see these people who are super successful and they almost wish that they could be like them. But what they just don't realize is that, you know, essentially, unless you're, you know, the, unless you're like someone who inherited money, the majority of people who are, you know, millionaires or who earn a high income, they had to start from the bottom just like you and I did and then had to build their way up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, 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 you're absolutely right. And, you know, you talk about, um, you know, Tim Ferriss even says this, you know, it's like when he, when he goes out and he mentors people and, and people are like, oh, well, you're Tim Ferriss. You could send an email and you can, you know, when, when they start talking about early stage, how to start your business, growth hacking and that sort of thing. And they're like, you know, there's an, I think there's a, there's a podcast episode. Uh, I don't know if it's, Tim's show or Noah Kagan's show, but Noah Kagan, you know, number 30 uh, employee at Facebook who was fired, number four at Mint, and now he runs Simo.com. Uh, uh, he's an awesome guy, and you should definitely check out his stuff. He just started a podcast recently. So they were talking about something. They had like a Tim Ferriss experiment uh, or an episode with Noah Kagan on it, and they were talking about how to growth hack uh, and get your first customer, that sort of thing. And they were both like, yeah, you know, people – are like, oh, well, you're Tim Ferriss, you could easily do this, you know, like, I'm nobody. The thing is, when Tim, Tim Ferriss wasn't always mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss, you know, he was just, he was, he was a J. Kim, or he was, you know, a Trevor Oldham, or whatever, you know, he was just one of us, and he just found his first customer, and then he, he scaled it, right? And so I think everyone needs to realize, even, you know, everyone is like that, you know, the founder of Amazon, or Airbnb, or whoever it was, it's, you have to start by building something that doesn't scale and finding your, your customer and then slowly scaling it over time. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. Jay, I just wanted to say this interview has been excellent so far. And now we're going to answer the Lions round. I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions before we end the show today. Awesome. What would you say to someone who's just starting out and going after their dream? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think we kind of went over it earlier, but I would say you know stay hungry, uh, be a consumer, a massive consumer of content. You know, I think one of the things, another sort of key trait uh, that I find found amongst uh, many many successful entrepreneurs is uh, they just love to read. And when I say read, that could be you know you could you could consume the content in other ways. You could watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts, listen to Become the Lion podcast, uh, or 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 listen to Audible, listen to audiobooks. You know, um, it, it's just you learn so much from from other people. And you know, I wrote a fitness book that basically, you know, this is not about me, but I'm giving this as an example. I wrote a fitness book that took me 15 years of personal pain to figure out. And when it was all said and done, it was like 200 pages, right? So I distilled all that knowledge and all that 15-year experience that took me 15 years to figure out into a 200-page book. I could give that to you, Trevor, and you could finish that in two hours. Like, that's amazing. And then you don't have to do the 15 years. You've just, you've just saved yourself 15 years of time. So, you know, reading is, is so important. And again, you can consume that content in, in, in any way. Um, 
I don't really know any successful entrepreneur. Well, I, I guess Gary Vaynerchuk goes on record saying that he doesn't read or he's read like three books. But I'm sure, you know, I mean, he consumes his content in, in, in other ways. But you can just learn so much. And it's, that's the beauty of the Internet now. So consume content. Just learn as much as you can from different people. And then, you know, work hard. Just, you know, just grind it. Because, like I said, it's a level playing field out there. It doesn't matter if you were born with trust fund or you were born with nothing into poverty. Like you can, if you want to fig- if you want to make it, you can figure it out uh, and just work hard. That's the beauty of, of this world. And then again, you know, uh, serve, 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 serve first, and um, you know, find an audience that you can serve. And give to and try to be patient you know it takes a lot it takes a long time to become a successful overnight success uh but it'll it'll get there you'll get there it'll happen if you just keep at it going along with content i know you mentioned the book spark but do you happen to have two or three other books that you'd recommend for our audience to read yeah absolutely so um one of the best books on entrepreneurship uh is is written by a guy named Derek Sivers, and he was the founder of CD Baby, which was a uh, sort of the first online non. It was an independent uh, site for independent artists to sell their music online if you weren't signed with a label. Um, he sold his company for a lot of money, and now he's just hanging out in Singapore. <laughs> so, uh, and he wrote this book called Anything You Want, and he's like a he's a really uh, he's like a sage, I would say. It's like him and Seth Godin are two guys that really are kind of like these very esoteric entrepreneurs that are able, are like wordsmiths. And what, when they say it's like when they say their words and they they teach about entrepreneurship, it's it's like you're listening to to a sermon or something because it's they they have a really good way, a very concise way of uh, of explaining uh, lessons or or or. Or, or teaching entrepreneurship. So Derek wrote this book called Anything You Want. It's like 60-something pages long. It's tiny. And it's basically, I think it's 40 lessons that he learned from his experience at CD, uh, at CD Baby, or uh, CD Baby, yeah. And, um, and it's great. It's, it's like, it's literally, it's like 70 pages long. You can read it in probably 45 minutes. But the way that he writes, it's so concise, it's so articulate, uh, it, it's just a must must read for for people that even don't like to read books. Um, a second book that I would recommend, and this is on the other end of the the spectrum uh, for people that love reading, because this is a, actually like a very uh, depth, in depth book, is a book by an author called Robert Greene, and it's called Mastery. And he in the book he talks about how people become uh, masters at whatever they are so he'll run he runs through a lot of examples um in history from people like benjamin franklin charles darwin and he he basically talks about how everyone that has achieved master like the most successful people again this goes back to sort of what we we're talking about it you know it wasn't because they were born gifted or born smart it was because they actually found their calling, so to speak, what they what they really wanted to do with their lives, and then they just worked at it. They worked, they went through an apprenticeship, and they worked at it, and they worked at it. And finally, after it could take twenty years, but then when you achieve, you know, you get to this point where you become a master, uh, and you actually feel like you are doing your life's work, like what you were meant to do with your life. Um, so that book is, is, is like 400 pages or 500 and it's really in depth and it's really, Robert's, uh, writing is very, uh, I mean, he's like a, he's like a true, he's an author, you know, he's an international bestselling author. But the reason that I love that book is again, it goes back to that same theme and it's, it gives you hope basically if you're, you know, your audience might be younger, but if you're say, 30s or 40s and you still are trying to figure out what what am I doing with my life you know I'm I see all these successful entrepreneurs and people side hustling and I want to do something but I don't know what to do go read mastery you know there's hope for you yet you know a lot of people don't figure out what they're meant to do with their lives until you know they're in their 40s or 40s or 50s even you know it's not too late um 
And a last book that I'd like to recommend, Trevor, is um, is actually on the fitness side, and it's uh, but it's actually not a fitness book. It's called Mindless Eating, and it talks about the psychology behind why we eat what we do. And you know, because nutrition is such a large part of my fitness program, uh, I actually spend a lot of time talking about the psychology and educating people on why we eat the way we eat and what, how this our entire the consumerism in our world in our lives and basically corporate bottom lines advertising how that has affected everything down to the way we eat the, our food choices so it's a it's a book about psychology actually um and it's called mindless eating by brian Wen, wansick wansick um very good read uh if you're interested in that sort of thing Jay, last question of the day. Where can our audience find you? Oh, okay. Um, I'm on social media. Uh, I'm not great at social media, but I'm uh, Jay Kimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R on Twitter. Um, You can find me on Facebook, uh, all the usual channels. Uh, My podcast is jkimshow.com, and I'm on, you know, all the podcast uh, channels, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all that stuff. And uh, if you're interested in fitness or you want to take a stab at hacking your fitness, it's hackyour.fitness is my fitness uh, website. And there's actually like a free guide you can just download. It's like 13 pages. And it's literally the condensed version of the book that I wrote. And it just goes through. It's like that TLDR version it's like the hack of the hack. If you just want to literally just give me what I what tell me what I have to do, that 13 pager will tell you exactly how to count your calories, track your macros, and the lifts you need to do, and you can just get started all for free right there. So those are the two sites: it's jkimshow.com and hackyour.fitness. Jay, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with our audience. Hey, it's been such a pleasure, man. Trevor, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening to Become the Lion. Everything from today's show will be in our show notes on our website. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Till next week, don't stop grinding.